Hey, good evening, Summit PM. Great to see all of you here tonight. My name is Andy, one of the pastors here, and I uh, just want to welcome you. Glad you could join us this evening as we continue through the book of Acts. And uh, as Coley just read from this book a moment ago, you know, this has been a really exciting series for us as a church for the last several months. We as a church have just been walking through this book, looking at uh, some of the very first followers of Jesus Christ and what it looked like for them to to basically put into practice the very things that they had learned directly from him. And this has been a really exciting series. It's been fun. We've seen a lot of incredible things over the last several months, especially in these first four chapters. If you've been with us, you know we've seen all kinds of remarkable things happen in the first days following Jesus' resurrection and the early church. We've seen a lot of remarkable things. We saw the very first Christian church started We've seen literally thousands of men and women come to faith in Jesus and turn to him for salvation. Uh, We've seen miraculous healings. We have seen persecution. We've seen people imprisoned for their faith. All kinds of remarkable things happening as the good news of, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ have continued to spread all around the Middle East. And it's incredible. And today, here's the thing, uh, even, even tonight, it's after weeks and weeks of remarkable, miraculous, almost supernatural events, as we get near the end of chapter 4, we're going to see perhaps one of the least remarkable stories in the entire book of Acts. This is actually probably uh, the least sensational, the least dramatic, the least entertaining stories we'll come across in the entire book. Thank you, Brian, for picking me to preach tonight. I appreciate that. But you know what? Uh, As seemingly unremarkable and unimpressive as this story is, I think actually it's because of that very fact that it might just be one of the most important things that we could hear. And one of the most important stories that we could, in fact, learn from. Why? Because here's what we're going to see tonight. Are you ready? This is, uh, th- this is the essence of what we're going to see in Acts chapter 4 this evening as we look through this passage. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. It's that important because as we look at this passage, we are going to see men and women in love with Jesus gathering together to pray. Okay, I'm going to say it again because you probably, I know that was a lot right there. Okay, let me say it again. Men and women in love with Jesus gathering together to pray. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. That seems a little bit elementary. That seems a little uninteresting. That just seems like, how in the world is he going to spend 30 minutes talking about that for this sermon? And I understand exactly how you feel because that's exactly how I felt at the beginning of this week. On Monday, when I started looking at this passage, I looked at this and said, how do I write a sermon on this simple story of men and women gathering to pray with one another? First point, they came together. Second point, they prayed. Third point, they left. End of sermon. That's how I felt this week as I came uh, pre- preparing for this message. And, uh, you know, if you're new here, I actually don't preach that regularly here at the summit. And so uh, this was kind of a challenging week as I was trying to figure out just everything I do on a normal basis already in addition to writing a sermon. And, uh, and this week was a little crazy. And, I, and let me just take a wild guess for a moment. See if you can just think about... Um, in the midst of me trying to write a sermon on prayer, what do you think is the one thing I tended to neglect? What's the one thing I had the propensity just to, to, to put aside that I did not have time for as I'm writing a sermon on prayer? Yeah, you got it. Prayer. It's prayer. That's the one thing that felt like, I don't really have time for this. I've got to write a sermon right now. And uh, in fact, this week, uh, if I'm being honest, on Wednesday morning, a lot of you know on Wednesday, we do a midweek prayer gathering here in this room at noon. It's great. Every week, anybody is welcome. We gather here for one hour at, starting at noon, and then we just spend some time together. We pray with one another. It's fantastic. 
that morning though, Wednesday morning, I'm walking to work and I literally, I, I just felt like I was so behind on this sermon. I had so much work to do. I had so much catching up. And I literally pulled out my phone on the, the walk to work. And I started texting Brian and Justin saying, hey, guys, don't think I'm going to be able to make it to the prayer gathering today. Dot, dot, dot. Got too much work to do on my sermon on prayer. Wait a minute. I didn't send the text. I sat there and I looked at my phone. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Uh, don't got enough time to pray. Got to go write a sermon on prayer. And uh, that's exactly how I felt. But by the grace of God, I just realized I'm an idiot. Why am I so dumb? And the Lord was just showing me in that very moment, hey, maybe this is the very thing you need to go do. Like Maybe this is the very thing you need to do. Instead of spending one additional hour writing on prayer, maybe you ought to go practice that. And you know, this week, I just felt like um, that was kind of the the lesson that I was learning over and over and over. You know what? Um, before I just write and before I just talk and before I just speak on this topic, I want to be practicing this all week and leaning heavily on that. And so I'm excited to do this now. I feel like I'm, uh, yeah, just really, really looking forward to looking at Acts chapter 4 with you tonight as we look at men and women in love with Jesus, gathering together to pray, and why, really why, that makes all the difference in our lives today when it comes to experiencing the very presence of God. So that's what we're going to do. You guys ready? Awesome. Let's pray. I'm going to pray again for us. God, we thank you. We do thank you. We thank you that we can gather here and we can look at your scriptures and we can get excited about hearing from you. That we can get excited about being with you. God, that we can get excited about knowing you. And Lord, I just pray that those things would happen in the next few moments. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to open our eyes to see you for who you truly are. That you would open our hearts to receive your truth. That you would just change us. God, that you would make us more like you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We ask that you would fill us. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We pray these things in your good, holy name. Amen. All right, now if you were here last week, uh, last week here's what we saw. We saw Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends. Uh, They had been arrested for healing a man and then helping lead thousands of other men and women uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. Now the local authorities, we talked about this, the local authorities did not like this. They felt very insecure by all these people becoming Christians. And so they locked up Peter and John, put them in prison. Uh, Eventually they realized that they had no real legal grounds to be able to do something like that. So then they released them and... uh, At this point, they were given a strict warning. In fact, Peter and John, their very lives were being threatened by these authorities, being told, don't you dare continue continue teaching about Jesus or you will pay. Now, that was last week. Today uh, and tonight, we see the very first thing that they did in response immediately upon their release. All right, let's look at verse 23. Have your Bible still in front of you or on the screen? Verse 23 says, when they were released, it's Peter and John, They went to their friends, and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. All right, stop right there. That's interesting. You see what they did? The moment they gathered together with their friends, they told them about prison, they told them about the threats, and then like a muscle reflex, their immediate instinctual response in the wake of what was probably like an enormously traumatic event, what did they do? They came together, they lifted their voices together in prayer before God. That was their instinctual reflex. In the same way, like, you and I instinctually jump when somebody startles us, 
This is their response in the, in the midst of a, re, a really dark time, a really unknown future, a really scary series of events. Immediately before they did anything else, they gathered together with their friends and they cried out to God together in prayer. Now imagine for just a moment. Imagine you're in that situation. You've been treated unjustly. The people and authority over you are just waiting for you to mess up again. Your very life has been threatened. What's your next step? What's the very first thing you do? Change the strategy. Like, okay, like, let's just maybe not talk about Jesus anymore. Change your location. Maybe we just go somewhere else. What's your very first thing that you do in a moment like that? Several years ago, I remember uh, driving my wife, Angela, uh, to a conference. It was over New Year's Eve, and it was in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, this was almost a decade ago, before we were married, while we were still dating. I, I agreed to drive her down to Atlanta, Georgia from Raleigh, North Carolina. We took her car. It was the cutest little Volkswagen Beetle, if you can ever imagine. Uh, and we drove her, I drove her down there uh, to Atlanta, uh, dropped her off, and then I was heading back up by myself. And as I'm driving on the interstate back up I-85 towards North Carolina, all of a sudden her, her car starts shaking uncontrollably. And, uh, and I could tell it wasn't a tire, it wasn't a wheel, it was something from the engine just starts shaking uncontrollably. I'm able to pull over onto the side of the interstate, and I'm sitting there, it's pouring down rain too while all of this happens, pouring down rain, and I call Angela up, and I still remember to this very day, even though this was about 10 years ago, I still remember to this very day her response as I called her. Because I got her on the phone, and I was like, hey, I am on the side of the interstate, it is pouring down rain right now, and your car is shaking uncontrollably. And this is what she said. She said, uh, okay, I'm going to pray about it and call you back. And she hung up the phone on me. And I was sitting there like, oh, okay. Uh, that's not what I expected, but all right. And I sat there for maybe two, three, four minutes, and suddenly my phone rang again, pulled up the phone. Oh, hey, hey, it's me. Okay, I prayed about it. All right, and Silence. I'm really sorry, I have no idea what's going on. Maybe you should call my dad. <laughs> that was her response in that moment. And you know, I still remember, um, I don't even know why I really called her in the first place I and mean, what that would accomplish by saying there's a problem with your car. Um, but, but I am so glad that I did because I still remember to this day that that was her instinctual response in that moment. Like, I'm going to pray about it. Even though this is just a car breaking down on the highway, and I'm, like, I'm going to pray about that. And I still remember how bizarre and how impractical, how even comical in the moment that that was her instinctual response to the difficulty. Yet, I'm, again, I'm just so glad that that's the way that she responded in the moment because honestly, it just made me think how absolutely pathetic it was that that was the last thing on my radar, the very last thing that I was thinking about. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know. Think about your life right now. I know. Think about, think about the reality that all of you right now have certain pressures. All of you right now have certain stresses on your life. Some of you, I know, you are walking through a really dark season right now. And you feel all alone. Some of you, your days are just so long and hard and exhausting and it feels like nobody else understands. Others of you, you're just disappointed. Like life has just not really turned out the way that you hoped that it would. And that's really frustrating. Let me ask you a question, though. In moments like that, 
in seasons like this, what is your immediate go-to? Your, your immediate outlet when life gets hard, when you're tired or when you feel mistreated or when you're disrespected? What's your pressure relief when you get anxious? How is it that you escape? Because the reality is that there are, there are a million ways for all of us to escape today, right? A million different ways that we do this. Some of you, you try to numb yourselves, right? You use alcohol or some type of drug or some type of substance to literally physically numb the pain. We self-medicate. You use things like pornography. Some of us use things like Netflix or social media where you can just escape emotionally for hours. Others of you, in times like this, maybe you're not trying to numb, but maybe you tend to perform. Like when life gets really hard or you're getting anxious, uh, this is the time just to, to ramp it up. I'm just going to work more and exercise more and ski more and do more. I'll just outperform my pain. Activity will save me. Busyness will distract me from the very things I'm trying to avoid. Others of you, you'll, you, you will literally escape. When life gets hard, when friends let you down, when Denver just is no longer as exciting and dreamy as it once was, you will leave. You will physically move on, and it won't take you long before you realize that your pain and your problems are close at hand following you. For all of us, it's something. Here's the thing, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of dissatisfaction with the way that your life is going, we all turn to something for relief, right? We all turn to something for relief. You see, this, this is why this scene here in Acts 4 is so amazing, because these people, this is probably one of the most difficult seasons of the entirety of their lives. They're scared, they're anxious, they have absolutely no idea what the future is going to hold, and all the signs are pointing to worst-case scenario. Well, you've been there before. And when we peek behind the curtain to see what their outlet is, to see what their pressure relief is, what do we see? We find them together bringing these very fears, bringing these very anxieties to God in prayer with one another. And you see, you know what they're actually doing in this moment as they pray? They are making a profound declaration about the fundamental difference between who we are and who God is. In that very moment, they are literally proclaiming through the act of communal prayer that we are needy, we are dependent, we are finite creatures, but you, you are the all-sufficient, infinite God who holds all things together in your hand. That's what they're doing through the act of prayer. That's what prayer does. Even for us today, that's what prayer does. It reorients you back to your proper place in this universe. And gosh, that's the relief that we need today. At least for me. Because on a daily basis, I'm tempted to believe I know what's best for me. I'm, I, I'm in control of my fate. I can handle this. All lies that Satan would find such great pleasure in me believing. Am I right? Prayer reorients that. Do you see this? Like prayer reorients us before God and says, wait a minute, Like, no, you are God. You know what's best. You are in control. You can handle all things. You're the one who saves. You're the one who redeems. It's you and you alone. It's not me. You see, this, is, this was the instinctual, instinctual reflex of Jesus' first followers. That's because it was Jesus' instinctual reflex as well. He taught his disciples to pray this way, to live this way in the midst of life's hardships. For our first response, our first immediate reaction to the challenges that you face or the sorrows that you endure, to gather with other men and women who love Jesus and pray. 
And this is one of the very reasons why we, as a, we, as a church, we're, we're just trying as many possible ways that we can to build a culture of communal prayer into everything that we're doing, into all the different rhythms of the life of the Summit Church. I mean, we love trying to think about new ways that we can do this for you and for our joy. I mean, I'll just give you a couple examples here. Um, I'll start tomorrow. Monday, every single Monday, did you know that our entire staff gathers together in the afternoon for about an hour or two just to pray for you? It's awesome. It's so, I mean, we love to do that. We, just, we, we come before God, we come before one another, and we're praying for you every single Monday afternoon with our friends. We're asking God to protect you and to love you and to help you tangibly feel the presence of God as you go about your work weeks. Some of you, we're praying specifically by name as we do this. All of you in general, we're praying for you every single Monday afternoon. We love it. Wednesday, as a, just a moment ago, Wednesday, every Wednesday afternoon at noon, we get here and anybody's welcome. We come and we pray with one another. We, just take, we take an hour, one hour, where we're literally just ceasing all activity. An hour where we could, have, we could be having meetings, we could be doing work. We cease all activity just to say, God, we need you. We are completely dependent upon you, and we are just demonstrating that by the act of stopping everything we're doing and recognizing who God is, and we love doing that. It's an absolute joy for us to be able to gather with one another and pray for you and pray for our city, pray for our church, and then comes Sunday. Sunday morning, even before the very services begin, we've got a group of men and women who are praying, praying for our church. They come here early before the service starts, and they're just praying for the teaching, and they're praying for the worship, and they're praying for the kids, and they're praying for all of you who will come, that God will speak, and that you would hear and listen and respond. And they do that every single Sunday. And even before this service, there was a team of people out in the lobby praying for you. And then in just a moment, I'm going to finish this sermon, and the band's going to come back up, and there are going to be men and women on the corners of this room that would love to pray for you, men and women who love to intercede on your behalf, going to God the Father in prayer for you, regardless of whatever you're going through. They love just joyfully to pray out, to cry out to God for you. Isn't that incredible? It doesn't even stop there, though. When our service is over, people continue to do it. They stay up here in the fronts, and they say, hey, you know, even if the service is over, we would still love to pray. Keep coming up here. We'll pray. We're going to even encourage you out in those aisles to engage the person next to you, even to pray for them if you need to. That is the culture that we continually love to think about how do we infuse more and more of this thoughtful communal prayer into. Isn't that great? Like, this is one of, this is like, on one hand, it's, it's incredibly beautiful that we have this opportunity just to commune with God, and, it, and it's such an easy gift that he has extended to us. I love it. I, I love that our church is growing in this regularly to become the type of people, really to become a family, a regular, consistent reorienting of ourselves to God as we gather with one another in prayer. That's the first thing that we're going to see uh, from Acts 4 as these men and women gather. But secondly, uh, what we need to see today is not only, not only how their instinctual response was to gather and go to God in prayer, but I also want you to see the actual content of their prayer, what they actually prayed for. Now look at verse 29 with me, verse 29. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, this is the prayer, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now this is amazing. Remember, they were imprisoned, they were threatened, their very lives are at stake, and what do they pray? Like, what, what do they ask for right here? Lord, look upon their threats and smite them? Like, take them out, God? Like, Lord, look upon their threats and give them a taste of their own medicine? No, 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 no. Like, what is it they pray? 
look upon their threats and give us courage to continue to speak with boldness. Isn't that amazing? It's like they're praying for all the wrong things. Like, don't they know? They're supposed to be asking God for traveling mercies or a hedge of protection, as they, whatever that means. Like, they're praying all the wrong things. No, they know exactly what they're asking for, don't they? God, give us the courage to faithfully follow you. Before anything else, we just want to be faithful, God. And right now, we know for that to happen, we need your spirit to fill us with courage. Like, you know our circumstances, God. You know the hard stuff that we're facing right now, but we want to be bold for you, Jesus. Gosh, you know, you know like what's the really beautiful thing about all of this is like they have such an incredible intimacy with God. They so sense his presence amongst them. It's almost like they knew what he was about to do before he actually did it. You see that in verse 30? Like, they ask in verse 29, give us courage to speak with boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand, you're going to stretch out your hand and heal. And signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant, Jesus. These men and women, they were so in tune with the heart of God. They were so immersed in the presence of God, being filled more and more with the spirit of God. It was like they had this holy sense about the work of God before it even happened. This wasn't like name it and claim it. It's God make us bold so we can have a front row seat when you show off. Isn't that great? It's like we're choosing to believe that you go before us. We're just asking to be a part of all of it. And man, what happens after that? I, I, I think it's amazing. Verse 31. I think my favorite, favorite verse in this chapter. Verse 31. And when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the best part. I, I actually, I had never noticed this part in Acts chapter 4 until this very week. Verse 31 again. When, he, when they say, and when they had prayed, and the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And here's why this matters. All throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, there are dozens of times when God would come down and he would come close to his people. Nearly every time that happened, it was a terrifying experience. Like nearly every time this happened, every place that he visited, every time he'd come down, the place that he visited would shake like an earthquake, and the people would be terrified. I mean, just think, uh, in those moments, the people, their response was like, what is God about to do? Is he mad at us? Is he angry? Are we going to live? If you think about the different times this happened throughout the Old Testament in particular, God comes to visit Moses on Mount Sinai, and uh, there's lightning and there's thunder. The scriptures actually say in Exodus that when God came to visit them, both the mountain and the people trembled alike. Then you have Isaiah, when God comes to come into the temple, his presence fills the temple, and in that moment, the very foundations of the temple begin to shake, and the people were fearing him. Every time, it's a terrifying experience, and people cower in fear. But notice something here in Acts 4. Something noticeably, noticeably different about this experience. We don't see people cowering in fear, do we? No. In fact, it's actually the exact opposite. We see people rising up in boldness. Why? Why is that? Here's why. Because at the cross, God put on display his deep, deep love for us. Even while we were enemies of God. That's what the scriptures say. While we were even enemies of God, he died for our sin. In fact, at the crucifixion of Jesus, we know in Matthew 27 that the earth quaked as Jesus received all the punishment for our sin. Here's what that means. It means now for us today, for us in this room, when the people of God 
forgiven and washed clean, are filled with the very spirit of God. They're walking in the presence of God. We no longer shake with fear. We shake with boldness. We no longer cower and tremble wondering, is he mad at us? We look at the cross and declare, no, look at how he has loved us. Friends, this is the absolute beauty of this passage. It's meant to just well up within us this unshakable confidence that if God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't this incredible? This is, this is the picture that we see from these men and women coming together, shaken by the filling up of the Holy Spirit and then leaving that building, proclaiming with boldness the goodness of the gospel. Man, that is the good news for us today. And I just think even for us this week that we know, for us to know, for you, for you who doubts, whether God truly loves you. Or maybe it's just whether God actually likes you. Like, this is really good news. Like, we can come close to God, that he desires to come close to you. And he's proven that already through the cross, right? Like, we don't have to wonder, is he mad? Is he angry? Is he upset? Like, no, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He deeply loves you. He deeply loves you so much that he's dying for you. And in that, he... He comes and he fills us with his spirit, his very presence. Here's the thing. I know this week that there are countless different opportunities. There are countless different things happening even in your life right now. When you survey maybe the different relationships in your life, when you survey your, your work situation, you think, survey your family, you know that there are countless opportunities where for God to work and for you to be able to, to see those things, experience the fresh filling of the Spirit, to see those things, even just to see the joy of the Lord break into those relationships, you know that God has got to step in and you have got to be able to step forward in courage, right? Like maybe it's just like a, Maybe it's a strained relationship that you have right now, and you know the only way that's going to actually change is if God gives you the courage to speak. Maybe it's a family member that you need to address, and, and for that relationship to heal, the only way that's going to happen is if God's Spirit fills you up and you have the courage to act upon it. And I just even think about the fact that next Sunday's Easter, and I know, I, I mean, we're so excited about Easter. As we start Easter, we're going to do uh, four weeks talking all about prayer and what it looks like to relate to our Heavenly Father and that beautiful relationship, and it's going to be so exciting. But as I think about Easter, I know there are several, all kinds of you right now that you think about people in your life that you would love for them to know Jesus. Like, you would love for them to know the love and the forgiveness and the salvation that comes from Christ. But you know the only way that's going to happen is if the Spirit fills you up and you have the courage to go have some of those conversations. Am I right? Man, this is just like, this is an opportunity for us to dream. This is a good gift. Even this morning, as I was, after our morning gatherings, as I walked home today, I just thought, what a great gift that we've been given in the gospel that we no longer need to fear. We no longer have to wonder. But as even we think about all of these relationships and we think about all the things that we want to accomplish for God and as we think about all the things that God wants to do in our lives and the lives of the people around us that when we just ask, when we honestly come before God and say, hey God, I'm not asking you to change my situation or change my circumstances, but I'm asking you to fill me with courage. 
I'm asking you to fill me with boldness. I mean, just think, just dream for a moment. What could that look like this very week? God, give me the courage and the boldness to faithfully follow you. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting to think about what could happen in your very life? That's the story of Acts chapter 4. God, we're not asking you to change our circumstances. God, we're not asking you to alleviate the circumstances. What we're asking you to do is give us the courage and the boldness to faithfully follow you. And when they prayed those things, they shook with boldness. They walked out of that space and they proclaimed the goodness of the gospel. That is the good news that we are able to walk in today. And so in just a moment, we're going to actually do that. We're going to practice this very thing. And we're going to give you even more opportunities to put these things into place. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to pray for us now and then we're going to respond. God, we, oh, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left this a mystery for us. God, we thank you that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt whether it is that you love us or if you're angry with us. God, we know. We look at the cross of Christ. We are given an unshakable confidence that you are for us, and if you are for us, that no one can be against us. God, I pray tonight over our people, that we would believe that. God, for those of us who are struggling to believe that tonight, I pray that your spirit would come close, that you would fill us more, that you would give us the confidence and that you would give us the courage to believe that you are who you say you are. God, I pray that we would be a family marked by our instinctual response to gather with men and women who love you and who are loved by you in prayer. That would be the the desire of our hearts. And God, when it's not the desire of our hearts, I pray that you would just change that. That you would come and you would continue to fill us, giving us all the courage and all the boldness to faithfully follow you. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your good and holy name. Amen.